special day because today is the year site of our Rebbe, Rebbe Shlomo Karlbach, so it's a, it's a very great day. It's the 16th of Cheshvan, and interestingly, on the 17th of Cheshvan, the flood started. The, the, the great flood that, that like began to wipe out the world. So I'm still trying to figure out what the connection is between, you know, we have, <laughs> we have, this, we have this idea that, um, and you see it many times, in fact, we even have it relating to um, Abraham, just to bring it down to the Parsha, Abraham and, uh, and Esav. It says that, that Abraham actually left the world, Hashem took him out of the world earlier than he would have normally, just so that he shouldn't see the wickedness of Esav, who was a descendant of his. So, so we also see by the time of World War II that many of the very greatest tzaddikim in the world, including the Chofetz Chaim, left the world right before the, the war started. And so you have this notion of Hashem sparing people the greatest uh, holy people, the, the, the pain of actually seeing, you know, um, you know, these events, and why exactly, how that works, um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but perhaps you can connect it to the fact that Shlomo's, Reb Shlomo's yurt site is coming the 16th and the flood is starting the 17th. I think that maybe, maybe you could say that as well. So, um, so uh, I wanted to read something from Reb Shlomo, and... Um, but beforehand, I, I wanted to raise something, and I always try to make this, um, I, I guess the, the official name of this class is um, Living with God. Uh, I, I haven't read the flyer in, in many months, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I think I've forgotten what the official name of this class is. I think it's something like... Uh, like coping with the... Yeah, um, spiritual tools for... Um, the outrageousness of life? I don't know, something like that. It's a little snappier than that, but that's, that's more or less it. But, but trying to get practical with spirituality, that's the idea here. You know? Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so I always like to be practical, and there's nothing more practical than being real, and there's nothing more real than drawing from, from your life, you know? So I noticed, uh, I noticed something, uh, this thing in, in, in me, that's something that I did, and... and uh, you know, by the way, I, I read once in a New York Times op-ed piece, uh, they were talking about rooting out spies, right? And so they were, uh, they were talking, the, the, this uh, writer who had worked for the equivalent of, you know, I don't know if you're in the right place, but take a seat anyway. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. But we switched topics. We have to uh, update the thing. But it's still tar. Okay. So, um, so anyway. Um, so this person said, this person who was like a spy master in, uh, for the U.S. government in, around the time of World War II, they were talking about that if you find a particular thing, right, if you, if you find a spy or whatever it is, you can assume that there are many more for each one that you find. So in other words, that's a good rule in life, that if you're actually able to identify something, there's probably more out there of whatever that is. You've just run across that one particular thing. So... Um, so I, I, I'll just apply that to, to myself and what we're going to talk about today, that if there's a certain thing going on in your head, there's a, there's a good chance that's going on in other people's heads also, right? Um, so with that as an introduction, uh, I found myself worrying about something, and I didn't know why I was worrying. Not only was I worrying about something, and I think we all worry so we can all relate to this, not only was I worrying about something, but I had come to the point where I had convinced myself that the worst possible thing was going to happen. And I thought to myself, just, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? 
And like I said, I think, I think we all do a form of this. So I'm going to propose, this was my exploration of why I did it, and, and maybe, maybe it will be helpful to you guys too, because maybe you're doing this without realizing it. So I realized that, that, that these were the steps that I was following. The point was that I was in a state of not knowing about the outcome of a certain situation. Again, I think that's something that we can all relate to. And so when you're in a state of not knowing what the outcome of a certain situation is, you're very, very vulnerable. And you don't feel like you're in control at that moment. And that's a very difficult place for human beings to be in. In a place of not knowing, in a place where you feel as though you can't determine the outcome for yourself. So I did this thing, and like I said, I think probably a lot of us do this thing, and it's a very, you see, you have to understand a certain rule. And I heard this from my father who's a psychologist, with a lot of applications to this, which is that people only do certain things if it answers a need. Okay? A lot of people are involved in abusive relationships, right? Now that doesn't necessarily even mean with another person. It could mean with substance abuse or something like that. That's an abusive relationship. So why would they be involved in an abusive relationship if they're suffering because of it? And the answer is, is because it's answering a need. So what is that need? Oftentimes that need is a sense of total unworthiness. So let me punish myself because I feel unworthy. Therefore this relationship, or let's talk about a person. I'm in a relationship, or let's say a person, I'm not, but let's say a, a person is in a relationship with someone who's very abusive to them emotionally or psychologically. So why would any person ever stay in a relationship like that? Because it's answering a need. I, I feel terrible about myself, and that person is, is reinforcing how bad I feel about myself. So even though from the outside it's sort of like, hey, why don't you leave that person? And so are you, are you kidding? That's my best friend. The person would never say that. Although, interestingly, you know, um, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe some of you know this. This is like a very, um, sh- sort of a, a shocking thing, actually. Shocking, not, not because maybe uh, you haven't heard this before, but shocking because just the way you, how complex human beings are. One of the most dangerous situations for a police officer to be in is breaking up a domestic dispute. And the reason, I, one, one spouse, just because it's more typical, let's say a man, God forbid, but it happens, a man is beating up a woman, what, uh, uh, let's say a neighbor calls and says, you know, this, this, this woman is being, his wife is being beaten up, the police officer will come and the wife will turn, vi- the one who's being beaten up will turn violently on the police officer. It's a very common thing. Seems to make no sense. Why should that be? Okay, so, you know, I'm not a psychologist. It's, it's a, you know, and every situation is different. So, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to overstep uh, my point here. Who, who knows is the answer. But, but it would seem that, that there is this perverse sense of loyalty to the one who's abusive because ultimately it's answering a need of this feeling of inadequacy. So let's get back to the initial point. The idea of why assume the worst. So let's go through these steps again. So here I am, worrying about something, assuming the worst. Why? Because I'm in a situation where I don't have any control. So here's what people do. Here's the, here's the, sort of the critical step here. I don't know how it's going to turn out. So you know what? 
I'm going to assume that it's going to turn out in the worst possible way. This way, at least I have control. Did everyone get that step? Now I have control. But you know, here, but here's the irony of it and the tragedy of it, is that you, you still don't have control. <laughs> and that's why it's completely useless to do this. You still don't have control. It still can work out for the best. You haven't done anything. All you've done is try to mollify this sense of vulnerability that you have within yourself, but you haven't accomplished anything. In fact, not only haven't you accomplished anything, but you may have done yourself a terrible disservice. Because if it does work out, you've put yourself through this emotional ringer for nothing. But then the question is, so how do I get out of this trap? So this is something that takes a lot of work. And the work is the ability to live in a state of not knowing and to be okay with that. Right? And that takes faith. That takes faith. But it doesn't just take faith. See, so so you say to me, okay, well, I have faith. I have faith in so many areas of my life, so I have faith. But still I fall into this trap. Okay, so, so let's take a step backwards again because we sort of missed the critical moment there. The main thing, the main art form, the main life tool here is to be able to continue to live in a state of not knowing. There are many different ways to learn how to do that. Prayer. Like I, I, I once thought to myself, you know what worrying is? Since worrying accomplishes nothing. So what is worrying then? Worrying is your soul telling you to pray. That's what, that's what the agency of worry is. And if you're still worrying, that means you have to pray a lot. <laughs> that means something is very important to you. So keep on praying. Okay. So how do you live... So how do you allow yourself? How do you permit yourself? How do you develop the ability to live on an ongoing basis where there's something that's that's crucially important to you that you can't necessarily determine, you don't know the outcome of necessarily, and yet to live a normal life, a normal, emotionally balanced, healthy life in the face of that. Okay? So I I want to talk about one approach right now which is the ability, developing the ability to live in the moment. And that is not easy, actually. It's actually very hard. I'm, I'm still working on that very much. And it's a, that, that's, a, that's a real level. All these levels, by the way, you have to understand something. All these ideas, these are things that you have to work on every single day. You know, it's like, you know, people walk around with these six-pack abs, you know? <laughs> like, you don't say to someone, hey, you know how you get that? You know, sit-ups. And then the person has them the next day. In other words, they, they don't have them the next day because it's not an idea. The idea doesn't translate. <laughs> so it's the same thing with these things right now. These are exercises. These are things that people have to work on every single day. And, you know, like I, uh, I heard in the name of Rav Moshe, 
Feinstein that someone said to him, you know, or, you know, you're a, a great man or something like this. And he sort of mocked the idea of, of, of greatness. He, says, he said, what, what is a, a great, what is a big man, right? He said, it's a little man who grew. Right? That, that's all. In other words, the, the idea that a person is born at a summit, although I've got a great story about a person born at a summit. Yeah. I'll give you the other side. <laughs> Which is that when the Svas Emes, when the Svas Emes, the, uh, the elder Hasidim, remember it was the Chudusha Rim, was the first Gare Rebbe, and then the Svas Emes was the Chudusha Rim's grandson. So there was a big sort of like multi-year gap where the Svas Emes felt that he was too young to assume the, the mantle of being a Rebbe. And the elder Hasidim of the, of the Chidush Arim were begging him, please be, be, be the Rebbe. And he felt like, you know something, how can I be the Rebbe? I'm, 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 I'm too young, I'm not there yet. So they gave him, this is after many years, they gave him the, the following example. They said, imagine experienced climbers are climbing a mountain, and they're climbing, and they're climbing, and they're climbing, and they're climbing, and then they get to uh, a person who's like at the top of the mountain basically toward the top of the mountain and they say to him how did you get here? and he says I was born here <laughs> so so they um, you know but that's not us or if, it, or if it is us if it is us it doesn't it doesn't mean that we don't have the obligation to still do all of the work, all of the work. Because it's not a physical mountain. You know, the mountain, even for the Svasemis, started from where he was born. That was the base of the mountain, and he went up. From other people's point of view, it was toward the top of the mountain. But for, in terms of his responsibilities in the world, that was the bottom of the mountain. So, so it's a relative scale for all of us. Anyway. So, so these things take a lot of work. We have to, we have to work on them. So now, let me, I want to read from Reb Shlomo. This is, uh, in terms of in terms of living in the moment. All right. So, you know what? Okay, I'm going to start reading. This is uh, from really one of, one of the, the great, great books. And if, if you don't have it, please, I, I, I beg you to run out and buy it. You'll be so inspired. You'll laugh. You'll cry. It'll be, it's, a, it's, a, it's a treasure. It's called Holy Brother. It's a collection of people's uh, experiences with Reb Shlomo. Two, three-page essays incredible, incredible stories. And anyone who knew Reb Shlomo knows, you read this book, you think it, it, it would take five lifetimes for anyone to have gone through what's in this book. And anyone who knows Reb Shlomo knows that this was just the tip of the iceberg. That there are thousands of stories that are not included in this book. Which, which is just, it's mind-boggling, actually. So this is on page 37. Uh, it's a chapter called Master of the Moment. So this is a transcript of Reb Shlomo speaking. People walk around sad because they don't know what to do with their future. You have this minute right now. What are you doing with it? The difference between sadness and joy is very simple. Sadness always tells you, Ay vey, what are you going to do in ten minutes? What will you do ten years from now? If you are really filled with joy for one minute, then you will know what to do the next minute also. What is God giving you? He is giving you this minute. He hasn't given tomorrow. Of course, I don't know what to do with tomorrow because I didn't receive it yet. 
Sadness is very much concerned with what I don't have. And I really don't have tomorrow yet. The truth is, I am always standing before nothingness. Because I am non-existent yet for the next minute. I'm not here yet. Time isn't there. The world isn't there. The world is here right now. So, so there are all sorts of uh, awesome things that come from living in the moment. So I, I just want to take a couple of steps back and, and sketch out a... Uh, a uh, well, let me just sketch it out already. <laughs> so, so, I was thinking about it. You know... I always admired the people that went to uh, MIT. And the reason is because when you go to MIT, that's the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, it's a very, very brainy technical school. And the reason why I liked that school or really admired people went to that school was because when they ask a question on a test, there is a very specific answer down to the last decimal point, And if you can't fake it, you can't fake it. If you go to other schools, you can give a very intelligent sounding answer. <laughs> and it's sort of like, you know, you're just kind of tap dancing, you know? And then you're hoping that the other people will sort of like buy it. And then, you know, you can get away with a lot, you know? Just by sounding intelligent, you know? But did you get the, did you get the answer, though? So you can't tap dance with, you know, if the answer is, 4.73596215 and then the 5 repeats 5555555555 after that, right? You can't say, you know, anyway, you understand the point I'm making. You've you got to just give the answer. You're the right or you're wrong. So now with that in mind, I'd like to ask you all a question. Do you know what's going to happen five minutes from now? <laughs> no one knows I mean you could give me a fancy answer but no one knows no one knows what's going to happen five minutes from now you just don't know you don't know what's going to happen later on today you assume you assume because there's sort of like this notion of um, you know that that Reality is contingent upon continuity. So it's sort of like, okay, so my sense of reality is based upon what has happened every single other day for the rest of my life. And in terms of decision-making, that's a very useful tool. But it has its limits. It has its limits. Brother, go ahead. Um, but if I worry enough and, you know, just stuff all my energy, and I know what's not going to happen. You know, I pretty much I can guarantee if I just stay here and worry and worry and worry and stay like locked into my fear, I know that I'm not something, you know, I can prevent myself from doing something you know, bad or wrong or, you know, I can stuff my energy, you know, so I don't just do anything bad. Okay, so it sounds like I'm hearing two concepts being intertwined right now. I'm hearing the concept of fear and self-control being intertwined right now. Fear, we, we ju- we, all we want is Yer Shemayim. We just want to be aware of heaven and just, and just fear that we should ever do anything that's not right in God's eyes. That's the only role of fear that we're supposed to have. Then you have self-control. Self-control is something very different from fear. Self-control means that if I take a drink, I'm going to ruin my life. 
That's not fear. That's self-control. That's awareness and knowledge. Now, you might be afraid you might do the wrong thing or whatever it is. That, that, that's something else. But in other, words, in other words, one can lead a very healthy, normal life by not being in a constant state of fear, by just exercising discipline and self-control so that they can be involved in the world and they can be active and they don't have to be paralyzed by all the things that can go wrong. So, so what, happens, what happens to us in, in, in a normal day is that we're, you know, the, the Kutzka Rebbe, one of my favorite uh, thoughts from the Kutzka Rebbe uh, is, he says, you know, it's a very big miracle to resurrect the dead, but it's an even bigger miracle to resurrect the living. <laughs> right? So, so the, the, the problem is, is that most of us are, are really like the walking dead, you know? God forbid, but, you know, I hate to say it, but most of us are, are just completely like, you know, we're like either robots or we're so into our routine, and, and so we don't, we don't understand really what's going on. We're just walking around, and, you know, the Kutzkarabi said something else that uh, I never saw it written, but someone told me it. He said, I'd rather, listen to this, I'd rather be with someone who didn't pray today than someone who only prayed today because he prayed yesterday. Say it again. I'd rather be with someone who didn't pray today than to be with someone who prayed today only because he prayed yesterday. In other words, in other words, there's, there's a certain type of spirituality. Spirituality is supposed to open you up and to connect you to the moment. It's supposed to connect you directly to Hashem. These are important bridges and tools. But if spirituality becomes habitualized, right, then it's, it's, it's no more an opening in your life than carrying a, you know, you know, I don't know, your car keys in your pocket. I mean, it, it, doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't do anything, really. Or if it does something, it doesn't do what it's ultimately supposed to do. So, so let's get back to this point because we're, 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 we're not there yet. We're still getting to, to, the, main, to the main idea here. So, so the point is the point is that the world is being created and recreated moment by moment. That means that every single moment is a brand new opening. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Every single moment is a brand new opening. Now, there's an example. We talked about it once a long time ago. I don't know if you guys, most of you guys weren't here for it. But if you are, as Rip Shomo would say, it's always good to hear again. The idea, the geometry of a line. So let's, let's just get into this idea for a moment. It's very important for you guys to understand what, what's transpiring. Okay, so a straight line... A straight line is actually, believe it or not, composed of an infinite number of isolated points. Okay? And they're just grouped very, very close together. So it creates the illusion of something solid. But a straight line, I'm telling you math right now, a straight line is not solid. It is an infinite series of of points which are discrete whole entities unto themselves 
So why is this why is this crucial? Because I say to myself, you know something? I'm living a certain lifestyle. I'm living a certain way right now. I've got a certain momentum in terms of what I'm doing. And this is what I'm doing. This is the line that I'm on. But it's a lie. It's a lie. Why? Because this path, so to speak, that we're on, whatever it is, hopefully it's for the good, but maybe it's not for the good. Who knows? Right? For those of us who, who are in a, in, in a difficult state. But when we realize that this path that I'm on is actually a series of discrete points that the next point hasn't been determined yet. I'm not locked into the next point because they're discrete points. So that means that, you know what, I don't have to go to, to continue in that line. Because look, here's, here's a point, and here's a point, and here's a point. Let's say I'm here right now. I don't have to go to this point because at this moment I can go in any direction. And I don't have to go to the next point just because this point led to this point, just because the previous point led to the present point, it doesn't mean that I have to continue in that line in the point after. So that means that every single moment I'm completely freed from my past and I'm free to choose a new direction for the future. You know, I find myself, I was thinking about that, and I was walking a certain way, and I was like, you know, have you ever, I'm sure you guys can identify with this, anyone who's, who's wrestled with a, an issue of self-control in, in whatever area of, of our lives. We've, I think all of us can identify with this. You know what? I'm walking to the refrigerator right now. Let's just use an example of food. I'm walking to the refrigerator right now. I don't want that ice cream. Now I'm opening up the freezer. I, don't, I really don't want that ice cream, you know. And now I'm opening up the thing and I'm, I'm reaching for a spoon, right? But if I remember, if I remember, but, but I feel like I've already given myself over to that, to that direction. But if I remember the point that the next point is not connected to the point that I'm in right now. I can go in any direction that I want. And just because I started toward the freezer, right, this is me last night, by the way, and if anyone wonders why I'm giving you this example, you know? <laughs> Coffee, heath, bar, crunch. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? That just because a minute ago I'm heading toward the freezer, so but I'm released from that moment also. Because that previous point isn't connected to my present point. So just because I started to go, it doesn't mean I have to continue to go. I'll tell you something. I want to connect it to the Yakeda. <coughs> you know, the Medrash says, listen to this, this is very intense and it's very much on this subject. The Medrash says that, you know, Abraham Avinu, you know, in order to, in order to, uh, you know, imagine, you know, it's, it's considered the greatest test any individual ever had in the history of the entire world. Abraham Avinu sacrificing his son. And remember, the test, the test worked on so many different levels. I don't want to get so much into it. I want to say on the previous point, but I just want to make, 
one point about it because it's not discussed as much. Abraham made his... He was world famous, by the way. He consulted with kings. He was probably the most highly regarded person in the world in terms of like, if you wanted to think of an example of a good person, in his day, not just in history looks to him as a great man, in his day he was regarded as, as, as the greatest person in the world. Okay? A lot of the way he made his reputation was by talking against child sacrifice. Can you imagine he's traveling all over the known world saying, don't sacrifice your children, that's ridiculous. It's evil. And if you believe in the religion that tells you to do that, it's evil and it's wrong and it's bad and stop it. So, so among the tests, there are many, many tests here, but among the tests was the fact that Abraham was about to look like the biggest hypocrite and fool in the entire world. His whole life's campaign against a certain thing, he was about to do himself seemingly. So among the things that he was willing, being tested, are you willing to give this up, was not just his son, which was the, the main thing, believe me, but also the incredible reputation that he had developed. You know, a lot of people get, you know, they're like, you know, Rabbi Green told me about a person that he knew who had a, he, he wore a, a, a hat, and he had a real relationship with his hat. You know? You know, a lot of people have real relationships with their, with their reputation. And, and it makes sense. It makes sense. Because, listen, it says, the, the Kesser Shem told that a person's name is above all the other crowns. So, so a person has to guard their reputation. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay, so the Midrash says that after the angel, after the Malach, and I, I just want to share a thought with you also about this Malach, but let me finish this thought first. When, um, when the Malach told Abraham Avinu, don't kill your son, don't leave your son alone, Abraham Avinu said, according to this Midrash, can I make a little cut in him? Can I draw out a little blood? Just not in a not in a sadistic way, God forbid, but just to show, just so that there should be physical evidence that this test was actually met and overcome. That there should just be a sign that it actually that I went through with it. And and Hashem said no. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, maybe it's off of that. So Yitzi was just saying that it says, don't do anything to your son. So oftentimes the Medrash is filling in like what, what the Pesukim are, are, are referring to. So maybe it's because, maybe this is saying, well, well, don't do anything implies that Abraham wanted to do something. So it could be. We have to, we have to see it inside. So, um, so again, this notion of, you know, um, Abraham had, had, according to, if you, if you want to learn this Medrash, according to what we were saying, and I'm not trying to, God forbid, psychoanalyze Abraham, you know, that's not the point here, but, but it would seem that he had a certain momentum, that he was going in a certain direction, and it's sort of like, okay, well, I can't do that, can I at least do this? Right? Because he was connected to this, he was very much in the moment of this. Okay, of course, his, his aims were much higher. His aims were much higher. He, he was trying to serve Hashem. But Hashem said, no. No. Now, now it's something else. So Reb Shlomo said in the name of the Ishvitzer that, that, you know, the deepest way of serving Hashem 
is asking yourself the question, what does Hashem want from me this moment? And it takes so much self-control. Because oftentimes it takes the ability... You know, I heard this quote, that a person has to be able to give up who they are for who they can be. You know, when we say Shema Yisrael, one of, there's certain things that we're supposed to have in mind when we say Shema Yisrael. You're supposed to cover your eyes. You're supposed to have in mind that hopefully you're saying the Shema in the time that Hashem asked you to say it. Right? That also, that you're makabling all Mahu Shemayim, that you're taking on the, you know, the, the, the yoke, the all of, of, of heaven. That means you're, you're, you're committing yourself to do Hashem's will. But here's the point I want to make. That you're willing to give up your life for the sake of Hashem. So, strictly speaking, what that means is that if someone were to come up to us, you know, and, and to ask us to do one of the three forbidden things, to, to, to worship an idol or to, to commit some sort of uh, sexual impropriety or to kill someone uh, for that other person, that we should be willing to give up our lives instead of doing any of those three things. Okay? But on another level, that's on the strict level. On another level, what does it mean I'm willing to give up my life for you, Hashem? It means, you know what, Hashem? I want to do your will. And I'm willing to give up who I am. That's a certain death. I'm willing to give up who I am right now in order to become who I can be. Yeah, he was so... Rav Shlomo was so, you know... Anyway, it's a, it's a bigger topic. But yes, yes, yes. Alright, so... I want to I want to make one point about the Akeda, but will you please remind me about being in the moment again? Because I know I, I, I fear I'm not going to be able to to get back to it after this. But this isn't that long a point, but it's such a special point for me it was anyway that I really want to share. You know, last week those of you who were here last week we spent the whole class talking about angels and all different aspects of angels and. Um, and uh, the one point that, that we didn't cover that I heard uh, in the name that the in the name of the Chida that the Chida brought it down actually from a different source but it was in the Chida was this notion that you know we have all these different categories of angels we have angels that are our guardian angels so to speak which is like the Yetzir Tov and the Yetzir right those are our sort of our personal appointments so to speak then we have the guardian angels of uh, Israel or whatever nation that we're from that those are our those are sort of like the super angels so to speak then we have the angels that come from our own deeds in other words every time a person does a good deed they, they create an angel or if they do something that's um, off the mark they, they create a, a force for the other side and then um, the last category is our holy mothers and fathers and grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers, our, our avos, uh, our fathers and mothers, who are in the next world, who also accompany us. So those are four different categories of heavenly forces that, uh, that, that accompany us. Okay? So I want to talk about this category, 
where um, it comes from a person's actions. Okay? So, the, the extent to which you make an angel, the extent to which what the angel looks like is in direct correlation to the effort that you, that you, effort, the effort that you put into the mitzvah itself. Okay? So that means that if you say a bracha in a very shvach way, like you just rattle it off and then a second later you don't know even if you made it or not, you've created an angel that's sort of like hobbling around, you know, maybe has like, who knows, like one eye and who knows. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's not, it's, you know, but it's, it's, you know, it's a helper, but, you know, can you, hey, I need to get something off that top shelf, can you help me? No, I really can't. You know, it's sort of like, I don't, it, it's helpful, but it's, it's not like a, a powerful force for you, right? Now, by the way, they say that, you know, it's a, it's a special merit of the Jewish people that the, that, the, that the negative forces that are created also look that way because it's never done with a complete full heart, the bad action. So, okay, so that's a, a comforting point. But anyway, you want to make, a, you wanna make a, a, an angel that's like full and very strong. That, that's the goal. Okay, so now listen to this. I'm going to go to the, here's the climactic moment of the binding of Yitzchak, the Akedis Yitzchak. So, so you have to picture it, Abraham, Yitzchak is bound down and he, he has to be bound so that he shouldn't be able to move in case he should move and, 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 and the sacrifice should be imperfect somehow because he moved. So Yitzchak is 100% there, Abraham is, a, is 100% there and, 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 and Abraham's got the, the knife raised and it says, and the angel of Hashem called from heaven Right, so this is Hashem speaking, but it's it's through an angel. Right, it says an angel of Hashem called from heaven and said, "Abraham, Abraham," and and he said, "Here I am." Abraham says, "Here I am," and the the um, the the angel of Hashem says, uh, "Don't don't don't send forth your hand against the lad. Don't do anything to him. For now, I know that you are a God fearing uh, that you are God fearing, and you have not withheld your son, your only one, from me." And the word that they use is mimeni, from me. So listen to this, listen to this explanation, a great explanation, I think. So the angel is saying, I know from me that you are a God-fearing man. Why? Because the angel looked at himself, saw that he was strong and 100% complete, and realized that that only happened because Abraham had done the action with all of his strength and power. So it says, the angel says, I know from me that you are a God-fearing man. <laughs> okay. So now, let's get, back to, let's get back to living in the moment here. So, so there are, okay, so, so I heard Rip Shlomo speak one time. And, um, He, he basically said, he kind of boiled down uh, Torah or, or just the, the belief in Torah, the, the belief in the divinity of the Torah, the belief that Hashem gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai and, 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 all, and everything else. He boiled it down to one point, one, one sentence, which is uh, quite difficult to do, actually. But he, 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 that, that was his specialty, taking the deepest, deepest points and being able to express them so directly and simply. So he said like this, it boils down to this, do you believe that Hashem is in an ongoing dialogue with mankind? 
That's what it all boils down to. You know? Uh, think about how brilliant that, 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 that summation is. <laughs> because it, 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 it changes like... Because let's say I'm, oh, I went to a fancy college and I believe one plus one equals two and that's the way the world works and, and all the rest and I'm a strict rationalist and blah, 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 you know? And it's sort of like, you know, explain this miracle to me and explain that miracle to me and explain this miracle and explain that to me and this, that, and the other thing. You know what? I don't have to be in that discussion with that person anymore if the conversation is this. Do you believe that Hashem, that God, is in an ongoing dialogue with mankind? Now all of a sudden it's sort of like, well, if that's the case, and I believe that that's the case, well then of course there's been that miracle and that miracle and that miracle and that miracle and everything. Of course. Because it's an ongoing thing. So Hashem is in an ongoing dialogue with us. And that's the essence of our lives. That's the essence of our lives. And the question is, and this isn't another subject, this is the subject we've been discussing since the beginning of the class, how to live in the moment. To the extent that I can appreciate and understand that I am in an ongoing dialogue with God, is the extent to which I am capable of living in the moment. Now let me make that more specific. All right, all right. I'll give an example from my life. So one time, so my my mother, Allah Shalom, was 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 really toward the very end of her life, and I was flying in a bunch to see her, and uh, she was in New York, and um, anyway, so. So, long story short, I, I arrive at the airport and then I get a cab and, you know, it's, I'm going into Manhattan and that's in Queens and there's so many traffic lights and, you know, which cab are you going to get into and, and all the rest and the cab parking and getting the luggage out of the cab and then getting into the hotel and then ringing the elevator bell and I do and just at that moment, a friend from Yerushalayim is getting out of the elevator that I didn't know I was going to see and he's on his way to another part of the United States. <laughs> So I thought to myself, I thought to myself, do you know how many miracles Hashem had to do in order for me to see this person, for it to intersect? But this isn't the point I'm making, but it, let me just make it anyway, which is that I then, it then occurred to me, if Hashem is directing the world so precisely, is He directing it any less precisely in terms of my mother's illness? Right? Okay. Anyway, everything is very precise. Now, a lot of us have these uh, encounters during, on almost a daily basis. You go to Ralph's and you see someone who you didn't think you were going to see. And you just think, okay, so he lives in the neighborhood, I live in the neighborhood. <laughs> he needs cornflakes, I need cornflakes. So, you know, that's not a miracle. The vault is in a miracle. Why is Hashem showing you that person at that moment? There are trillions, zillion examples of that. But I still haven't made the point. The point is, 
but if a person is in the moment if a person is living on the level of understanding that they're in a constant dialogue with the Rabboni Shalom with Hashem Yisbarach then they're able to receive his goodness in a way that they wouldn't be able to otherwise there's a, there's a, there's a, I don't know if it's a medrash, I think it's a medrash, maybe it's just a, a very old mashal, an old parable. And it goes like this. Who appreciates God more? Right? And now here's, here's two examples, okay? Who appreciates God's, God more? So, so, uh, there's a story is it, is it the person, is it the orphan, the young child who was raised in the home of a wealthy man his entire life, right? Or is it the person who was stranded in the desert and about to die and all of a sudden this rich man comes out of nowhere in the middle of the desert? So they say that it's the man who got saved like that because he sees the hand of Hashem in, the, in, in, in a way that the other person doesn't. Even though that the other person who was raised from birth in the rich man's house has been the recipient of countless kindnesses and acts of chesed, that person has come to believe that this is what's owed to me and this is what I deserve and this is what's normal. Whereas the other person sees the enormity and, if you will, the outrageousness of just his deliverance. And it says, is, is overwhelmed with praise. Can you imagine the difference between an orange that you eat just because there's seven oranges in your refrigerator and they're about to go bad and you're walking from one room to the next so you grab an orange and the orange that you give, I don't know, someone who just got saved from like a burning building and is starving could be the same orange but it's a completely different orange yeah so Hashem here's the point now Hashem is giving us these burning building oranges (laughs) if you will every single moment but certainly in these surprising encounters that we, that we have almost every single day. And the difference is, are you receiving these, are you receiving that orange from your refrigerator drawer or are you receiving it directly from Hashem? Are you receiving that seemingly chance encounter from like just, hey, that's just the way the world works? Or are you in a direct dialogue at that moment from Hashem? If you can live like that, if you can live like that, then you can take this notion of not knowing. Remember we started this talk off with the idea of how do I live when there are all these things that are important to me and I don't know what's going to happen, what the outcome is. How can I live like that? And the answer is, if you're living in the moment, if all of life is a direct, immediate, like you don't know what's going to happen next, and therefore, 
You're, you're, you're not imprisoned by your preconceptions where everything becomes dulled and normal and everything like that, but you're actually receiving and you're in a direct dialogue with Hashem every single moment. That not knowing frees you to be in the moment, to be in the most intimate relationship with Hashem imaginable. And so it comes from the biggest weakness in the world to being the biggest strength and greatest opportunity for you. Okay, we'll stop here. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes from Shlomo I, I learned and it was hard to even accept. I don't know why we like that we are born in We are born in yeah. Well, it says our souls come from the Kisei HaKavit, just below the Kisei HaKavit. So it's true. That's true. And one of the greatest miracles is when we have an addiction, or we feel bad about ourselves, that God does not go away. Right. So we can say over and over again, we don't understand how much God believes in us. Right. But that's what we need to get through life. Know that because if, if the world's falling apart, you know, I'm falling apart. The house is broken, all the doors and the windows are broken, everything's wrong. You know, so if God didn't give me a little taste at night when we say that prayer um, to have faith in God at night, he said it doesn't mean that, of course, I have faith in God. He said God's faith in me at night. You know, I couldn't fix anything. And when you feel so bad, you know, people think that only in Christianity is there that kind of love. That's why Christianity is so powerful to people. You know, they, there's a way in Christianity. People think that's the only way, you know, to have that kind of relationship with God, that God's grace is there for you. And Judaism, we don't teach it enough. And that is what Shlomo was trying to tell us all the time. But God's always looking at us. But the way to serve God is to stand as tall as you can. As we used to say all the time, the way to bow down before God is to stand as tall as you can. Mm-hmm. You know? It's just, or when he would say on Pesach, you know, when it's so clear that the world, when they, somebody like the Pharaoh wants to show you your master, he steps on you. You know, we have a lot of people in our lives who do that. And we come to believe that we're this way, and we're the one that's supposed to get stepped on. And whatever, he said, God came to show us that the way God shows you your master to lift you up. That's what God wants us to do for each other. That's what the Torah is doing. That's what the whole thing is about. And yet somehow we find it so hard <coughs> to live that way. I'm 62 years old. I just got to that point. I mean, I mean, little by little, you know,
Since you've developed it, it's great. Yeah, good. I have something I read many, many years ago that ties in with exactly what you're saying and your points right up to the ice we describe superpowers to our adversaries, mm. whether it be another person, a situation, the ice cream. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, 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 yes. It's actually a So listen to this point. You know, it's an amazing thing. I got an email right before I came here from Shlomo Katz, and he said, he, he sent one, he sent a general one, but then he sent one just to me. I don't know, maybe he sent it just to you also. 
but, but it said it was personally addressed he said this is a cash Torah and I, I, I printed it out and uh, I meant to in order to bring it and it's exactly the point that you're on so I have to tell I have to tell Shlomo this so he said he had just transcribed this from Reb Shlomo and uh, it says uh, oh goodness it was on a Pasuk I, 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 I don't remember the whole Pasuk so I'm not, I won't quote it but, but I'll tell you the he says there's a, a, a Hasidic saying that if I'm looking for a key and I can't find it did you get this also? if I'm looking for a key and I can't find it then I'm sad right? but if I'm looking for God the very searching makes me happy okay so so if you attach yourself to God and you devote yourself to trying to attach yourself to God you already win that's the point you already win and whatever stumbling that takes place that's part of that is part of the searching process so so the very the very effort is the success yeah yeah. One more point, yeah. which yeah. which is um, actually uh, an example of the moment in time. I don't know where it's quoted. It says her, her, on her eye, the past is gone. Yeah. But always a pair of iron, and the future can change in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Also that iron, and sorry, of her eye, the, the present can change in the blink of an eye. Also that iron, and the future we don't know yet. So that's the eye. Why worry? Very good. Okay. Charlie, you can have the last word, but if people have to run, please please run. Go ahead. This is one of the most profound things I ever learned. He said, everybody has to learn how to stand and everybody has to learn how to walk. He said, standing means standing in God's, God's presence, which is what he talked about. And walking is walking in God's way. He said, but what do you do when you fall? Because we also have to learn how to fall down and get up. <laughs> So he says, how do you do that? And I forgot exactly how he put it, but it had to do with singing and dancing and joy. Yeah. You know, it helps you get back up. He said, but what do you do then when you fall down and you can't get back up? And he says, you just keep standing and walking and singing and dancing until one day God reveals to you that you never fell at all. Because how can you fall when God told you? Okay, guys. We end on a strong note.